0: Uh, to probably have guessed by now, I hope you have, um, I'm not my dad, uh, and he's not preaching today. Um, he's not even here, so don't look in the sound booth. Um, but (laughs) he's on vacation. Uh, so I will be preaching today and I want to let you know that it is going to be different than every sermon that you hear from my dad, uh, mainly because, well, I'm not him. Um, so don't expect funny jokes from like 30 years ago because I wasn't alive. <laughs> and, uh, um, he's got a little bit more experience, so there might be some times where it's rocky and I might end in like 20 minutes, So, but you're all all right with that. Um, in those days, uh, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census... They had been taken while Cornelius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own hometown to register. So Joseph also went up from Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the manger. What is the manger? Um, Well, literally, uh, I was going to do something really cool and have like a big manger on stage, but it was Christmas and I was like, ah. Um, So a manger is literally um, a big feeding trough for animals. Um, we often get pictures like this of some like really nice looking cozy thing in Bible times, but that's actually probably not even close. Um, it was literally like a large bucket type thing and you would put hay and, and other things for animals to eat. Um, now when you think about it in that context, it's a little humbling for the savior of the world to come and be placed in that for his first bed. Um, I mean, he was sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven and then like, okay, game plan. Go be born and save the world. Okay, Dad. So they go and he's born and he's a human baby and he's put in a bucket, so to speak. And it's kind of ironic. Now, the passage that I just quoted is a very famous passage that we often speak around this time of year. Um, and I think it's only fitting that today would be the day after Christmas, the day after the day we here in America traditionally celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's beneficial to look at how we got up to this point. We see, you know, Luke chapter 2, Jesus is born, but what happened leading up to this? Um, How do we get to Jesus' birth? Matthew tells of a lineage that stretches all the way back to Abraham. Matthew depicts a, 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 he details a lineage from Abraham all the way to Jesus with scrupulous detail. Um, he does this for a couple different reasons. Um, one was so that Jesus' birth was credible because Jesus was the king of the Jews. Have you, have you ever thought about that? Uh, we say all the time, Jesus, uh, king of kings, he was the king of Jews. But have you ever really thought about that? Jesus literally was the king of the Jews. Like, you know, you have the king of England or you have any king in history, royal. They have a throne, they have a kingdom. Jesus was one of those, but he wasn't recognized as one by his own people. In this lineage that Matthew details, it's to say he's of the Davidic line. David was the king of the Jews. And Jesus was a descendant of David. He literally was the king of the Jews. It's easy for us to say the things that we've heard for years and years, but it's much harder to internalize some of those things because they're just repeated to us. Jesus was a real king who was put in a bucket. But this is what Matthew's doing in his genealogy of Jesus. He's proving with incredible detail, that Jesus was in fact a descendant of the Davidic line and the truthful king of the Jews. So, from the very beginning of Jesus' earthly life, we see that his importance and credibility stretched to the beginnings of Judaism, and if you stretch his genealogy even back to Adam, he was from the very beginning. Now, to understand Christ fully, we would need to understand the Old Testament fully. And don't worry, well, we don't have enough time to do that. I um, don't know if you've read it, but it's kind of a big book. Um, uh, we would need to understand all of the law of the Old Testament and all the prophecies of the Old Testament to really understand who Jesus was. Because Jesus was the culmination of all of it. Jesus made the Old Testament and the prophecies and the law absolute. He he was the reason uh, for all of it. So we've seen how Jesus stretches all the way back to the roots of, of our faith because Christianity came from Judaism. How he belonged to the royal Davidic line making him the king of the Jews. Now, I want to do something Kind of crazy. And take a look at a prediction of Jesus' birth from Isaiah. Some of you may have heard this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, You have stretched the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah would have written this down in around 701 BC. Um, It's a really long time ago. And for you mathematicians, um, how long ago is 701 B.C. before Jesus was born? Anyone? Anyone? Evan's in college. Spotlight. Come on. Right about 701 years. Because Jesus was born AD B.C., before Christ. 80. I just shattered glass. You just realized something. Um, about 701 years. Because, uh, well, this is... The earliest I've ever heard of someone predicting someone's birth. Um, 701 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah writes it down like, hey, this guy's going to be born and he's going to be this. I've never heard of anything like this. None of you know, my friends are saying, hey, you know, in about 15 years I'm going to have a kid and he's going to be president. Or, you know, hey, in, you know, like seven years, I'm going to have a kid and he's going to be NBA All Star. You know, I don't hear that happening. Um, Isaiah predicts the Savior being born 701 years before it happens. To put this in, in some sort of perspective, it's 2010 right now, minus 701 would be the year 1309 AD. Now, in 1309, Pope Clement, kind of a big deal, uh, the 10th, excommunicates Venice and all its population. Venice, Italy, excommunicates it. I don't like Venice, so it's done. He did that. Um, Henry Twelfth is recognized king of the Romans by Pope Clement in 1309. America wasn't America in 1309. Still had 400 or so years. That's a long time. Jesus' birth had been long awaited. So you might be asking yourself, why, if his birth was so long awaited and, and predicted with such detail, did the Jews end up rejecting and killing Jesus? It's a pretty good question. My answer to that would be the Jews were monotheistic. They believed in one God. So, why did they kill Jesus? Because they were monotheistic. Let me explain. Um, We believe in one God. Yes? No? Yes? Shake your heads, yes. We believe in one God, yes. However, there's three, right? You know, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One, two, three. But we believe in one God. Hmm. Two, three, one. I'm not awesome at math. But, three doesn't equal one normally. But in this case, it does. It's really hard to explain to most people, um, especially Jews. (laughs) The reason the Jews are so monotheistic is because they kind of had some trouble with this. Um, I don't know if you remember this. It happened a really long time ago. Um, The Israelites were in this place called Egypt, and they were slaves. And and they were there for a long time, and they were under this burden uh, of slavery. And then God was like, okay, I'm going to redeem my people. I'm going to use Moses and Aaron, kind of, and I'm going to get them out of Egypt. And so he does this with incredible wonder and awe and miracles and signs, um, plagues that were just crazy, water turning to blood, locusts, the angel of death. And then they're at the the Red Sea, and it seems like they're trapped. But God sends this pillar of fire from heaven down to block the Egyptians who were close at hand to regaining their slaves. And then God parts this body of water, and so much so that the ground they walked on to cross was dry. Okay, so they did all that, and they witnessed all of it, And then they're in the desert, and God's giving Moses the Ten Commandments, their law. And Moses comes down the mountain, and all of the people are worshiping this golden cow, a bull. They just saw all that, but I'm going to worship a bull. Seems like it'll do me good. God didn't really like other gods. He's a jealous God. Kind of a big deal. So the Jews have had this experience with worshiping other gods. So eventually it got them in trouble again. They inherited the promised land and lived for a while. And then they started worshiping other gods and they were sent into the Babylonian exile. Destruction of the temple didn't look good, but God brings them back. And so, to make sure that they don't mess up again, they're going to be super monotheistic. Even to the point where their own savior, their own king, who is God, they reject because there can't be more than one God. Yahweh is the only God. So this Jesus guy is just crazy. You can't be God. There's only one. Ironic. Because he was God. So they ended up mocking, betraying, rejecting, and even killing their king. So let's get back to our text. The interesting thing about today being the day after Christmas is I get to preach about the day after this manger scene, Um, which I don't know if you guys... I don't like these. It's just kind of a pet peeve because... It's really not accurate at all. First off, this is beautiful, so whoever like put this together, good job. I'm not saying anything bad about that. But it's good. the white thing kind of makes it look like it's snowing. It would have been rainy season when Jesus was born, so the snow is out. Uh, the wise men, they probably didn't come for much later, so don't even worry about that. Um, I don't know if the angel was there. I know that she, they came before, talked to Mary and Joseph, but I don't even know who this guy is. But anyway, sorry, soapbox, pet peeve. Anyway, um, so the day after Jesus came into the world, I can imagine Mary and Joseph, right? Mary and Joseph just had this baby, Uh, you know, Christmas Day, Jesus is here, and Mary delivers the baby, and then, you know, then what happens? Next thing you know, Jesus is, you know, on the cross. No? No? Something had to happen in between. <laughs> I can imagine Mary and Joseph sitting in this this place, this cave, this stable, this barn, and Mary is recovering from childbirth. Joseph is there attending his wife and his newborn child, who I'm sure was not, you know, glowing with angelic glow and halo on head. It was probably crying because it was a baby, and that's what babies do. And I'm sure they didn't get much sleep that night. And then the next day, they had to wake up, if they slept at all, to a child that was a day old, a human child who needed food, who needed to have new swaddling cloths, because babies do bad things in swaddling cloths, and needed to be nurtured and held and rocked because it was a baby. And I can imagine Mary and Joseph sitting, unsure how to raise this child. And I can't imagine the pressure of knowing that that child was also the savior of mankind. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Jesus was like any normal human child because he was a normal human child. I mean, yes, he's God. But he was a human child. And he had to get circumcised. Just like all other little Jewish boys had to be circumcised. They did this on the eighth day. Now, according to the law of Moses, you can find this in Leviticus, I'm not making it up, uh, a woman who gives birth is ceremonially unclean for seven days. And then on the eighth day, They take, if it's a boy, to be circumcised. Then they come back. And then for 33 more days, the woman is ceremonially unclean. Which means she can't go to the temple. She can't touch anything. She can't go to church. She can't be involved. She's an outcast. For 40 days. Blood was kind of a... a, a bad deal for the Jews. They, God didn't want them to deal with blood. Uh, we see this later in Acts when the church is you know, trying to bring Gentiles in. The Jerusalem council meets and they, they say, you need to abstain from food, sacrificed to idols, uh, food that was from strangled animals. Don't eat blood and resta- restrain yourself from sexual immorality. These four things that the Jerusalem council decided these are what these Gentiles need to do. Blood was a bad deal. Because in that day and age, there was a lot of pagan worship, a lot of idolatry. And as part of that, you would drink blood all the time. And you would use the blood that was sacrificed in animals to do different things. And it was really gross and nasty. Um, And I say all this to say that it took a month. For Joseph and Mary to come to this remarkable event in the temple with their baby and Simeon. It took a whole month. Sometimes we read these stories and we think, okay, Jesus is born. Uh, Next day, he's at the temple. Next day, he's healing a blind man. Next day, he's on the cross. It took 33 years for Jesus to get to the cross. And it took over a month for him just to get to the temple. Now, the eighth day, he was taken, circumcised. That's where it happened. But then, 33 days later, they go to the temple to consecrate Jesus. You know, like when my dad's up here and there's a newborn baby and he holds the baby and like, oh, we dedicate this baby. Ah." That's kind of the same thing. They would consecrate this baby to the Lord. They, They were devoting it, giving it to God to be used by him. But it took a month for that to happen. Jesus was a month old. I want you to get a picture of that. I want you to realize the humanity of Christ so you can fully understand his deity. Now, we need to remember that life went on. Mary was recovering from childbirth, which was a lot different back then than today. don't know if you know that. Um, It was. I don't know all the details. I didn't look it up because that's... I don't need to see that. Um, My mom would have thought I was doing something inappropriate. Um, Mary was recovering from this childbirth, and, and Joseph was being a husband, and he was working to provide for his wife and his newborn baby. Life did not cease to exist as it already had. It went on, but it had an addition. The baby Jesus. Now, Simeon states in his prayer who Jesus was, And what Jesus came to do. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus came to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And he came to be glory for his people Israel. So, what is the manger? What is the next day? What is all of this for us here right now today? The manger was an excruciatingly humble entrance to a world our Savior came to save. The next day is the process that Jesus took to become the man who would conquer sin and death by raising from the grave. And this process that Jesus took to fulfill the law and the prophets is the same process that we must take every day that we get up. Because we read this event, and we study it, and we look at it, and if you believe it, then it's not enough to just show up to church every now and then. It's not enough to pray every now and then. It's not enough to say you're a Christian but not do anything about it. Nominal Christianity is not worth it. In Revelation, we see this picture of Jesus saying, I'm either going to spit you out of my mouth, You need to be hot or cold. One, choose one. Don't be in between. Because if you're in between, you're not good for anything. You make me want to puke. These these are Jesus' words. And if we are Christians today and, and we live a life where we think it's okay to just come to church, throw our money in, head out the door, we've got it all wrong. It's not what this is about. And I think sometimes I have this habit of sounding like really mean or anything. Um, But I look at at the life of Christ and there weren't too many days that he didn't step on toes. Um, Jesus, Jesus was a crazy dude. Um, He went up to the Pharisees, these, these people, these teachers. Um, it would be like if all of the preachers in this area got together, um, like some kind of council. I actually think we have one. I think it's called like an alliance. Um, if they all got together and then this guy came up and was like, hey, you're whitewashed tombs. Whitewashed tombs is basically you look real nice on the outside But what's on the inside of a tomb? Death. Nothing. You look good on the outside, but hey, you've got nothing on the inside. Or you brood of vipers? I I don't want to be called a brood of vipers. (laughs) Doesn't sound nice. Jesus had this thing about him where he knew the truth, and he knew the reality, and he wanted everyone to know it too. Do you know the truth and the reality? Do you want people to know it? Because if you don't want people to know it, then what are you doing? If you're not telling people about Christ, if you're not bringing them to an opportunity to know him, then what are you doing? And it's much easier to say and much harder to do. And that's what the church is all about because we were never meant to do it alone. A, you have to have the Holy Spirit. B, we're supposed to use each other. But if this church, this church of River Oaks, only shows up on Sundays for a worship service and does nothing else, then what is the use of this church? And that's hard to say. I grew up here. 17 years ago, we came to this church. I've literally grown up here but I'd be willing to throw that all away if I knew that there was a chance to serve Christ. So I implore you, do not be content with mediocrity. Do not allow yourself to slip into nominal Christianity because it's not worth it. for our invitation time today, we're, we're going to do something a little different. Um, I want every single one of you to, to participate in this. I want you to spend, spend some time in reverent prayer. Spend some time um, with conversation with your king, this person, this God that you call your Lord and your Savior. Talk to him. I want you to spend some time maybe in confession. I want you to spend some time maybe in a prayer of pleading and help. I want you to talk to him. I didn't put any of the scripture on the screen. I didn't do really much anything for you other than an invitation to be a Christian. A verb to do something. Take this time and pray to God. And I will close with a prayer and then we'll have one more song and that will be our service today. But right now, spend this time and go to God in prayer. Come to you in. We are humbled by the, the power of your your name and, and the story which is told. How you came as as a human child, completely defenseless, completely dependent upon others. God, you you knit Mary and Joseph together in the womb, yet you came to be their child. God, we ask for forgiveness for the many times that we mess up, that we don't understand how to live for you, that we take you for granted. That when things are bad, we curse you. When things are good, we forget about you. God, I pray that you would be real in this place. That you would be as real as anything in our lives. Your word says that nature and and the workings of the universe testify to who you are pray that we would stop and that we would see that. That we would take a break from our lives that we're so consumed in and immerse ourselves in you. Lord, I want to pray for this church. They've done incredible things. And they still have a long way to go they've not arrived and I pray that you would never make that their goal but that they would enjoy the journey the race, the fight to live for you God I pray all of these things in the name of your son Jesus Christ Amen would you please stand